This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Recently, the British government approved an extradition order for Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks. This means that Julian Assange can be sent to the United States to stand trial and face charges. This move has been heavily condemned by journalists, human rights defenders and members of the public who have labelled the US and UK governments as hypocrites. But who exactly is Julian Assange and what is this entire saga all about? I'm Dashan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Barbara Bukowska, Senior Director of Law and Policy at Article 19. Article 19 is a global non-profit focused on defending and promoting freedom of expression and freedom of information worldwide, including freedom of assembly, the right to protest and so on and so forth. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Perhaps you can start by telling me who exactly is Julian Assange. Thanks for having me. Julian Assange is Australian publisher and a, a journalist and a founder of WikiLeaks. And a WikiLeaks is a very unique um, sort of media outlet that uh, publishes information in public interest. But what is very unique about WikiLeaks as compared to other media outlets that it publishes original information, right? So it or uh, it publishes the the unredacted uh, the materials uh, which are uh, leaked to the WikiLeaks by by anonymous sources, and that uncover in most cases serious human rights violations or other wrongdoings. Basically, it's a publishing outlet, but it doesn't publish the articles or or analysis, but it publishes. The, the, the key unredacted and unmodified information in public interest. So when you say public interest, what exactly do you mean by that? Okay, so those uh, often are, or like what WikiLeaks is actually like very famous for, mm-hmm. is publishes the, the information which was held by the, by the US government. So an example of this is the government cables, the diplomatic cables that were um, exchanged within the US uh, governmental offices on various issues, uh, various international issues. So diplomats cables, mm-hmm. right? So you can you can call it like internal emails between the uh, governmental departments and between different embassies. And this is actually very important because I often say to people that if you want to learn something about your country, go to those government cables, the U.S. government cables, and you can see how the U.S. government sees your country or, or what's going on there on international level. Mm-hmm. Another important leak or another important publications, which WikiLeaks made public, were the war logs from Afghanistan and Iraq wars. Uh, and some of those were very shocking. So, for example, collateral murder video is a very shocking video of how the U.S. military actually the US Army in Iraq murdered a number of civilians and also Reuters journalists in, in a market. And you could see how the US soldiers who were who were responsible for this shooting, how they were joking about this and you know how this basically this, this murder murder happened. So that's another example. Another example of their publications are, are the Guantanamo Bay procedures. So these are the procedures which the U.S. used in Guantanamo Bay, where they um, 
where they kept prisoners of war mm-hmm. from from um, what they call them illegal combatants from the war in Afghanistan. Uh, there were also some leaks of the private um, military companies or private military contractors, so-called transport files. So, so a lot of information which is uh, revealing, as I said before, uh, human rights violations, it's revealing sometimes war crimes, serious corruption, for example, in Kenya, uh, and so on. So this information is in public interest, um, not to mention that it's also information that shows how some governments are taking efforts to hide these human rights abuses. So it's definitely in public interest and it's definitely something which is a purpose of journalism, which is to shed light on these kind of practices and make people aware of what is government doing in their name. How do you draw the distinction between things that are in public interest and government secrets that shouldn't be known to the public? Or is your stance everything you know to do with the government should be transparent and should be known to the public? First of all, I want to start with the fact that the information that the government is holding, it's holding on behalf of its citizens and inhabitants, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a presumption that this information belongs to the people. It doesn't belong to the public officials or those, those entities. And it is a responsibility of those offices and those authorities to keep the this information secure, right? However, there is also something called right to information. So most of this information should already be accessible if you file the right to information request. In many countries around the world, there is like a presumption that information should be public un- unless there is like a serious uh, public interest and serious like, reason, or not public interest, serious reasons such as national security, protection of the rights of the others, and so on, where the government can sometimes deny access to information. As I said, primarily, the responsibility to keep this information secure, let's say, is within the government. And then journalists have a moral obligation sometimes to consider where the information might harm someone and not really deal it when they come to their possession. However, what I understand about WikiLeaks is there has never been any proof that any of this information which was made public harmed anyone. Even during the, the proceedings, what, what the, the WikiLeaks revealed. And there was one of the famous whistleblowers who's, um, who attributes his, uh, his work to leaking it to WikiLeaks. This is um, uh, Chelsea Manning, private Manning, who allegedly leaked this uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and diplomatic cables warlocks. And when Chelsea Manning was uh, prosecuted, the US government claimed that this information harmed some individuals. And in the proceedings, there was a, uh, there was, um, a request to show which information allegedly harmed someone and the US government couldn't come, come with that. So that's, that's what I want to highlight. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. maybe what I should uh, mention is that what is also unique with WikiLeaks, and this, we should um, mention this in the introduction, is that Traditionally, and you all know this as a journalist, journalist depends on confidential sources, right? So in order to bring and uncover certain issues, some cases or human rights violation, you obviously need a source of this information. You need to trust work with sort of this information. And building the relationship with the source has always been something which journalists has been doing for you know ages. 
and also the keeping the confidentiality of the source has always been very important to journalists, right? And how to maintain the confidentiality of the source. So WikiLeaks' invention and Julian's invention actually was to make this uh, source protection, journalist versus source, very uh, much much stronger, right? Because before you would have to know who is your source, right? You would have to, to meet the source, you would have to build the relationship and so on. But WikiLeaks allows sources to leak the information and to provide information to them anonymously. Just simplified like a secure Dropbox where people and sources can anonymously give this information, provide the, the, the dossiers and so on, and they don't need to reveal who they are. Mm. However, this might be, you know, sometimes a challenge because you don't know who these people are, like, you know, can you trust them and so on. But the unique thing here is that this information is then verified by WikiLeaks through some digital means. So they make sure that the documents are not altered or they are not like falsified. And they also allow the source to leak this anonymously. And this is enormous invention to journalism. And now it's, you know, a standard when they started um, modern, you know, 12 years now, 13 years, this was on the standard in, in journalism. So this is one of the inventions they allowed. So this is also very important for the protection of the sources, because if you can leak something anonymously and provide information anonymously, you might avoid retaliation or that you will be harassed for, for what you did as a source. This is very important and we should stress this out. Right. So, you know, in 2012, um, Julian Assange, who, like you mentioned, is an Australian citizen, he headed to the Ecuadorian embassy in London and asked for political asylum. Why so? As a result of these publishing activities, as a result of um, the, the, the work that he has done and that WikiLeaks done, especially for the publications of the confidential materials from the US sources, he has been facing a number of charges or like claim to face a number of charges because this was a subject of a sealed indictment at the time, allegedly, which later on became uh, public. But the main reasons for seeking the protection in Ecuador has been because he has been trying to prevent his extradition and prosecution in the US state on a number of charges. And these charges then later transpired to be extremely severe. These are charges for obtaining, possessing, and conspiring to publish classified information. And there are also a number of charges under the US Espionage Act and also the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. So basically, he is being extradited for the charges of, of um, espionage. And in order to avoid extradition to the United States, he sought uh, asylum at the Ecuador embassy and stayed there uh, for seven years. For many years, the US government considered charging Assange, but no action was taken until the Obama administration back in 2017, a move that was heavily criticised by human rights defenders. But despite mounting pressure from the US, Julian Assange was still able to remain relatively safe, held up at the Ecuadorian embassy in the UK. But now, the WikiLeaks founder is facing extradition to the United States after the UK government gave its approval. Now, what is Article 19 stand on the matter? Should Assange be extradited? So, this is ex extremely, extremely problematic for freedom of expression because um, 
although he's he's facing these espionage charges, he is being pro- prosecuted and he is being extradited for his journalistic work, right? And this uh, U.S. prosecution basically does no more or no less than criminalizes those who gather the news and who expose serious human rights violations and crimes. And it's extremely problematic that the U.S. government is seeking this extradition and the U.K. government is is, is supporting it. Because look at, look at it in this way. If Julian is extradited to the U.S., those other journalists, or not just him, who pursue and reveal human rights abuses by the U.S. or by other you know, powerful entities will be in a serious risk of extradition and prosecutions. And this gives a, a message that if you are doing this kind of activities, if you are publishing this information in, in, in public interest, if you are allowing whistleblowers to give you information in public interest, this is the consequences you will be facing. And this is extremely dangerous for freedom of expression in the US, in the UK, and also around the world, given the both UK and US government stands on media freedom, promoting media freedom and human rights and democracy around the world. So this shows that not like hypocrisy on the sides of these governments, that they are not ready to stand for their commitments if the, the journalist in question is revealing something which is embarrassing and, uh, and problematic for those governments. On the show with me today is Barbara Bukowska. She's the Senior Director of Law and Policy at Article 19. After a break, I ask her about some of the attempts by critics of Assange to assassinate his character. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Darshan Johan and on the show with me today is Barbara Bukowska. She's the Senior Director of Law and Policy at Article 19. And today's episode is a 101 on Julian Assange. So, Barbara, I've seen some arguments, right, Barbara, that Julian Assange and, and WikiLeaks isn't a, a media organisation. It isn't a, a sort of um, organisation built around journalistic principles and, and things like that. They say that, you know, this isn't the New York Times or, you know, what or whatever it may be, The Atlantic or, or CNN. You know, they say this is just some platform created by some dude. I, I mean, it, it seems very trivial, but these are the kind of arguments I've seen where it's uh, on social media or even by... Um, uh, uh, certain officials in, in various countries and whatnot. How do you view it? Is Wiki, uh, do you consider WikiLeaks, um, quote-unquote, the press? Um, how do you view what is considered the press, What who is considered a journalist and, and who isn't? First of all, yes, WikiLeaks is press or WikiLeaks is the media. It is uh, Julian Assange is a journalist and publisher. And if you think they are not, and if you equate uh, press or media just with you know large media outlets, as you mentioned, some of them, Atlantic, New York Times, CNN, it's a very kind of outdated concept of the press or the mm-hmm. media, because according to international human rights standards and also like evolving kind of um, uh, nature of the media environment, uh, media are much more than just this, you know, quote unquote professional and big commercial entities. And this also actually changed quite a lot in terms of like digital age and evolution yep. of publishing. So you you can't see this in early 20th century or 19th <laughs> century prism. 
And at the moment, everyone who publishes the information in public interest and who gathers information in public interest professionally or uh, regularly benefits from journalistic profession. And these uh, standards were developed to react to new forms of journalism, right? Let's say bloggers at the moment are also um, guiding information and publishing information in, in, in public interest. You also have uh, you know, new media outlets online and so on. So the, the notion of the press and the media evolved. International human rights standards responded to this positively and capturing them within this notion of the press. And the WikiLeaks is one of such outlets and Julian is someone who does the, does the role of, of, of journalism. Then you can also talk about the issue of like professional ethics and so on, and that's a slightly different discussion. But also you can look you can look at your professional ethics of many mainstream outlets, right? Absolutely. Like at, I don't know Fox News or Daily Mail in the UK. You can often question mm-hmm. uh, their, their practices. But also importantly, and this is one of the questions we haven't covered so far, and it's another very important invention which Julian brought to journalism is a collaboration between this new media, quote-unquote, and mainstream media outlets. Because a lot of leaks, which um, uh, WikiLeaks brought to public attention and published, were actually done in collaboration with mainstream media outlets, right? So what I mentioned at the beginning with Iraq and Afghanistan war logs or those diplomatic cables, the publication came in a collaboration with many media outlets around the world. They were published not just WikiLeaks, but also by Guardian, by New York Times, by Telegraph, and also local media outlets that contextualize this information. And if you recall what I said at the very beginning, like if you want to know the history of your country or if you want to learn about your country, just go to WikiLeaks and see what uh, the U.S. government says about your country. You can also see a lot of evidence of corruption. So in the Middle East, let's say in Tunisia, journalists were looking at those cables when they jointly published them and were contextualizing them and explaining them and, and showing a lot of relevance for the local publications. So they are actually collaborating with the, with the media outlets that published exactly the same information that was in WikiLeaks. So this delineation between like old media and new media is no longer relevant in the digital age where we live in. Right. So you've established that this is incredibly problematic. Um, It goes against the very principles the US preaches. So what happens next? Um, Can Assange appeal this decision to be extradited? Where does he go from here? Does he have options available in front of him? From what I understand is that um, there is still a possibility to challenge this, um, uh, this, this permission from Priti Patel, Home Secretary, to um, to seek these extraditions. I believe there is like 14 years deadline to to challenge it, and then also there are some legal challenges still possible for him against the extradition ruling. Because and this we didn't uh, we didn't explain this. He has been for the last three years, after seven years at the embassy in a very kind of small. <laughs> Uh, it's not like some luxurious, big, you know, embassy with a garden. It's yeah. sort of like small yeah. flats somewhere in Kensington where he was kind of held for, for seven years in this like small room because people think that he was kind of like, you know, having luxury life in some like posh embassy. That's not the case. So he was seven years there and now he's in high security prison in Belmarsh. So his health has been very deteriorating. It's kind of like all kinds of health problems, which has been proven by UN Special Rapporteur on extrajudicial uh, short killings uh, or like, you know, several UN uh, UN experts. 
So the, the reason why the originally this extradition by the first instance court in the UK was rejected was on the health grounds. And later this was reversed. So he's sort of like, is being extradited um, despite these challenges to his health situation. But now he's challenging the extradition on the legal grounds, right? So these are some particularities of the UK law and the, and the British law on extradition, but basically there are still options. Uh, albeit this doesn't mean that he will eventually not be extradited, but then there is also something um, which um, is available to him at the regional level because he can still appeal to the European Court of Human Rights, which is a regional human rights body, where you can go after you exhaust all the domestic remedies. So you can go to the, to the European Court and, and then hope that European Court is a sort of final instance right. on the European level will not uh, permit this extradition. However, you also need to see this in the in the light of how the UK is seeing European Court, because at the moment there is this challenge in the UK uh, when the uh, UK wants to extradite some uh, some refugees to Rwanda and um, the European Court stopped this and the UK is now saying that they will rather leave European Convention and they will stop the jurisdiction of European Court over the over the UK. So hopefully this will not happen, but um, you know, UK doesn't um, respond to this kind of rulings um, favorably. Uh, and doesn't like when their decisions are challenged by the regional or international human rights bodies. This is like a sh long-winded answer to your to your question, but I would say there are still some options. Nonetheless, the the threat of extradition and the fact that there is already this ruling and permission is is quite dire. Now, Barbara, some people, particularly those attached to some mass media platforms in the US, seem to think that it's a good idea to extradite and charge Assange. Take this article from The Atlantic, which in 2019 published this piece um, with its opening paragraph, and I quote, In the end, the man who reportedly smeared feces on the walls of his lodgings, mistreated his kitten, and variously blamed the ills of the world on feminists was pulled from the Ecuadorian embassy, looking every inch like a powdered sugar Saddam Hussein plucked straight from his spider hole. How would you respond to people who bring up these sorts of arguments? So unfortunately, and this is unfortunately not unique to Julian Assange, and this is uh, very often happening to those who are bringing some issues to public attention or who are challenging the power that the focus becomes. So it's very unfortunate that when people are uh, bringing human rights violations or, or exposing serious wrongdoings, the government can sort of respond or those who are, who are targeted by those revelations always res uh, respond with attempts to smear the character, right? And, and this is not unique to Julian. This often happens to human rights defenders. This often happens to, to journalists who are, you know, targeted by those powerful. So what do you say say about say about that? But you know, Julian is not being extradited for allegedly, you know, being an, you know, not a pleasant character, right? Right. He is being extradited for revealing public wrongdoings, right? For revealing serious human rights violations, for revealing war crimes. And that's what is the crux of the matter. And people should be really mindful of, of, of this kind of diversion tactics, which are um, diverting attention from the core of the problem. 
and as I said, that this is not unique to 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 Julie, and this often happens when um, you know something. Let's say even in, in cases where like women get raped, and then they are said, "Oh, you wore a short skirt." Yeah. Right? Uh, blaming the victim is not the way how to respond to human rights abuses. Right. So blaming for Julian for I don't know having not not showering uh, properly when at the Ecuadorian embassy. I don't know what those like kind of uh, allegations. Mm-hmm look wrongly at a kitten or something like that. Like, you know, that's not the charge here. Here the charge is, is extradition. And there is also this uh, this kind of attempt that, you know, you can you can only suffer human rights violations if you are a, this perfect human being, this unblemished, you know, human being, and only then you are worthy of human rights protection is really, really, really dangerous. Because in, in principle, human rights are belonging to you if you have a right to freedom of speech right to uh, to life all, all of these rights it doesn't matter what sort of character you have right and allowing this destruction is very very dangerous and trivializes human rights protection so this is what i would say to these people absolutely i think that's really well said now you know as we wind down this conversation i'm i want to tie all of this back perhaps you can you know reinforce um the message about freedom of speech right why is this case so important and on top of that why is freedom of speech so important why does it need to be protected freedom of speech is really a foundation a for democracy because if people can cannot receive information if they can't depart information or if they can't know what the governments or other powerful entities are doing, for them, they will not be able to make uh, informed choices about who they want to vote for or who they want uh, to be uh, in charge of the governmental affairs. That's that's number one. But freedom of expression also underpins the autonomy of us, uh, how we kind of live our lives, but also is really necessary for pursuit of other human rights, right? So if you receive information about um, the you know public utilities or education or health, even like now during the COVID pandemic, how important it was to know what are the threats or what are the cures and so on, and you know how to protect yourself. It really underpins everything which you do in life. And then journalism is uh, an investigative journalism in particular, which you know WikiLeaks can fall. Uh, under this um, this kind of characterization of um, investigative journalism, is really important to shed a light on issues which are really important for people's lives and how people can know what the governments are doing and, and misdeeds, which are, as I said earlier, done in their name. So that's why it's something which we should really care about and we should really cherish and protect and see that this is not really about you know, one person, but really about the principle and and the message which is sent to others who are who are doing something similar and who are also imparting and gathering information and how these principles are upheld um, across the world and how they are upheld by the governments that are extremely powerful and that are presenting themselves as leaders for democracy and, and human rights. So that's why we should all care about Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. Before we wrap this conversation up, Barbara, could you have some final thoughts or a final message for us? First of all, thank you so much for this opportunity. And it's also a pleasure for Article 19 to, to speak to you and also work in Malaysia because in Malaysia we have a colleague and we have a presence and we work on a number of issues related to freedom of expression, communication and, and regulation. But So I would 
I, I hope that your listeners will check our work, but also in general, there are ways of supporting or joining the causes, both for Article 19 and WikiLeaks. So if you haven't checked the WikiLeaks website, there are also a number of petitions you can sign in support of Julian and WikiLeaks. And important to show that people around the world care about these issues and international support to important causes like this has always been very important for the people who are suffering in, in prison or who are being prosecuted. So I think it's great comfort to Julian that people around the world care for him and that's people from the countries which are also in the league. So as I said, like check those leagues and see what they said there, but also they, they support the cause and they support his, um, his fight for freedom. And I would hope that your listeners would be among those. On that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Barbara. That was Barbara Bukowska, Senior Director of Law and Policy at Article 19. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.